0: Good evening at 11.36 p.m. How's everybody doing around the world? The life-changing magic of tidying up the Japanese art of decluttering and organizing audiobook by Marie Kondo narrated by emily wu zeller free preview from the play store it's got good ratings about this audiobook Says, despite constant efforts to declutter your home, do papers still accumulate like snowdrifts and clothes pile up like a tangled mess of noodles? Japanese cleaning consultant Marie Kondo takes tidying to a whole new level promising that if you properly simplify and organize your home once, you will never have to do it again. Most methods advocate a room-by-room room or little-by-little little approach which doom you to pick away at your piles of stuff forever. The KonMari Method with its revolutionary category by category system leads to lasting results. In fact, none of Kondo's clients have lapsed and she still has a three month waiting list with detailed guidance for determining which items in your house Quote, spark joy, close quote, in which don't. This international bestseller featuring Tokyo's newest lifestyle phenomenon will help you clear your clutter and enjoy the unique magic of a tidy home and the calm motivated mindset, it can inspire, we will listen to the preview,
1: Tantor Audio presents, the life-changing magic,
0: 28 minutes,
1: Tantor Audio presents, the Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, The Japanese Art of Decluttering and Organizing by Marie Kondo, narrated by Emily Wu Introduction. In this book, I have summed up how to put your space in order in a way that will change your life forever. Impossible? A common response and not surprising, considering that almost everyone has experienced a rebound effect at least once if not multiple times, after tidying. Have you ever tidied madly, only to find that all too soon your home or workspace is cluttered again? Mm -hmm. If so, let me share with you the secret of success. Start by discarding, then organize your space thoroughly, completely, in one go. If you adopt this approach, the KonMari method, you'll never revert to clutter Although this approach contradicts conventional wisdom, everyone who completes my private course has successfully kept their house in order, with unexpected results. Putting their house in order positively affects all other aspects of their lives, including work and family. Having devoted more than 80% of my life to this subject, I know that tidying can transform your life. Does it still sound too good to be true? If your idea of tidying is getting rid of one unnecessary item a day, or cleaning up your room a little at a time, then you are right. It won't have much effect on your life. If you change your approach, however, tidying can have an immeasurable impact. In fact, that is what it means to put your house in order. I started reading home and lifestyle magazines when I was five, and it was this that inspired me. From the age of fifteen, to undertake a serious study of tidying that led to my development of the KonMari method, based on a combination of my first and last names. I am now a consultant and spend most of my days visiting homes and offices, giving hands-on advice to people who find it difficult to tidy, who tidy but suffer rebounds, or who want to tidy but don't know where to start. The number of things my clients have discarded, from clothes and undergarments to photos, pens, magazine clippings and makeup samples easily exceeds a million items this is no exaggeration i have assisted individual clients who have thrown out 245 liter garbage bags in one go (laughs) for my exploration of the art of organizing and my experience helping messy people become tidy there is one thing i can say with confidence A dramatic reorganization of the home causes correspondingly dramatic changes in lifestyle and perspective. It is life-transforming. I mean it. Here are just a few of the testimonies I receive on a daily basis from former clients. After your course, I quit my job and launched my own business doing something I had dreamed of doing ever since I was a child. Your course taught me to see what I really need and what I don't. So I got a divorce. Now I feel much happier. Someone I have been wanting to get in touch with recently contacted me. I'm delighted to report that since cleaning up my apartment, I've been able to really increase my sales. My husband and I are getting along much better. I'm amazed to find that just throwing things away has changed me so much. I finally succeeded in losing 10 pounds. My clients always sounds so happy, and the results show that tidying has changed their way of thinking and their approach to life. In fact, it has changed their future. Why? This question is addressed in more detail throughout the book, but basically, when you put your house in order, you put your affairs and your past in order, too. As a result, you can see quite clearly what you need in life and what you don't, and what you should and shouldn't do. I currently offer a course for clients in their homes and for company owners in their offices. These are all private, one-on-one consultations, but I have yet to run out of clients. There is currently a three-month waiting list, and I receive inquiries daily from people who have been introduced by a former client or who have heard about the course from someone else. I travel from one end of Japan to the other, and sometimes even overseas. Tickets for one of my public talks for stay-at-home parents sold out overnight. There was a waiting list, not only for cancellations, but also for the waiting list. Yet my repeater rate is zero. From a business perspective, this would appear to be a fatal flaw. But what if my lack of repeaters was actually the secret to the popularity of my approach? As I said at the beginning, people who use the KonMari method never revert to clutter again. Because they can keep their space in order, they don't need to come back for more lessons. I occasionally check in with graduates of my courses to see how they are doing. In almost every case, not only is their home or office still in order, but they are continuing to improve their space. It is evident from the photographs they send that they have even fewer belongings than when they finished the course and have acquired new curtains and furnishings. They are surrounded only by the things they love. Why does my course transform people? Because my approach is not simply a technique The act of tidying is a series of simple actions in which objects are moved from one place to another. It involves putting things away where they belong. This seems so simple that even a six-year-old should be able to do it. Yet most people can't. A short time after tidying, their space is a disorganized mess. The cause is not lack of skills, but rather lack of awareness, and the inability to make tidying a regular habit. In other words, The root of the problem lies in the mind. Success is 90% dependent on our mindset. Excluding the fortunate few to whom organizing comes naturally, if we do not address this aspect, rebound is inevitable, no matter how much is discarded or how cleverly things are organized. So how can you acquire the right kind of mindset? There is just one way, and paradoxically, it is by acquiring the right technique. Remember, the KonMari method I describe in this book is not a mere set of rules on how to sort, organize, and put things away. It is a guide to acquiring the right mindset for creating order and becoming a tidy person. Of course, I can't claim that all my students have perfected the art of tidying. Unfortunately, some had to stop for one reason or another before completing the course. And some quit because they expected me to do the work for them. As an organizing fanatic and professional, I can tell you right now that no matter how hard I try to organize another space, no matter how perfect a storage system I devise, I can never put someone else's house in order in the true sense of the term. Why? Because a person's awareness and perspective on his or her own lifestyle are far more important than any skill at sorting, storing, or whatever. Order is dependent on the extremely personal values of what a person wants to live with. Most people would prefer to live in a clean and tidy space. Anyone who has managed to tidy even once will have wished to keep it that way. But many don't believe it's possible. They try out various approaches to tidying, only to find that things soon return to normal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I am absolutely convinced, however, that everyone can keep his or her space in order. To do that, it is essential to thoroughly reassess your habits and assumptions about tidying. That may sound like far too much work, but don't worry. By the time you finish listening to this book, you will be ready and willing. People often tell me, I'm disorganized by nature, I can't do it, or I don't have time. But being messy is not hereditary, nor is it related to lack of time. It has far more to do with the accumulation of mistaken notions about tidying. Such as, it's best to tackle one room at a time, or, it's better to do a little each day, or, storage should follow the flow plan of the house. In Japan, people believe that things like cleaning your room and keeping your bathroom spick and span bring good luck. But if your house is cluttered, the effect of polishing the toilet bowl is going to be limited. The same is true for the practice of Feng Shui. It is only when you put your house in order that your furniture and decorations come to life. When you've finished putting your house in order, your life will change dramatically. Once you have experienced what it's like to have a truly ordered house, you'll feel your whole world brighten. Never again will you revert to clutter. This is what I call the magic of tidying. And the effects are stupendous. Not only will you never be messy again, but you'll also get a new start on life. This is the magic I want to share with as many people as possible. One. Why can't I keep my house in order? You can't tidy if you've never learned how. (laughs) When I tell people that my profession is teaching others how to tidy, I am usually met with looks of astonishment. Can you actually make money doing that? Is their first question. This is almost always followed by, do people need lessons in tidying? <laughs> it's true that while instructors in schools offer courses in everything from cooking and how to wear a kimono to yoga and zen meditation, you'll be hard-pressed to find classes on how to tidy. The general assumption, in Japan at least, is that tidying doesn't need to be taught, but rather is picked up naturally. Cooking skills and recipes are passed down as family traditions from grandmother to mother to daughter. Yet one never hears of anyone passing on the family secrets of tidying, even within the same household. Think back to your own childhood. I'm sure most of us have been scolded for not tidying up our rooms. But how many of our parents consciously taught us how to tidy as part of our upbringing? Our parents demanded that we clean up our rooms, but they too had never been trained in how to do that. When it comes to tidying, we are all self-taught. Instruction in tidying is neglected not only in the home, but also at school. When we think back to our home economics classes, most of us remember making hamburgers or learning how to use a sewing machine to make an apron. But compared to cooking and sewing, surprisingly little time is devoted to the subject of tidying. Even if it is included in a textbook, that section is either just read in class, or worse, Assigned for reading at home so that students can skip ahead to more popular topics such as food and health. Consequently, even the extremely rare home economics graduates who have formally studied tidying can't do it. Food, clothing, and shelter are the most basic human needs. So you would think that where we live would be considered just as important as what we eat and what we wear. Yet, in most societies, tidying the job that keeps the home livable, is completely disregarded because of the misconception that the ability to tidy is acquired through experience and therefore doesn't require training. Do people who have been tidying for more years than others tidy better? The answer is no. 25% of my students are women in their 50s, and the majority of them have been homemakers for close to 30 years, which makes them veterans at this job. But do they tidy better than women in their 20s? The opposite is true. Many of them have spent so many years applying erroneous conventional approaches that their (laughs) homes overflow with unnecessary items, and they struggle to keep clutter under control with ineffective storage methods. How can they be expected to know how to tidy when they have never studied it properly? If you, too, don't know how to tidy, don't be discouraged. Now is the time to learn. By studying and applying the Konmari method presented in this book, you can escape the vicious cycle of clutter. A tidying marathon doesn't cause rebound. I clean up when I realize how untidy my place is. But once I'm done, it's not long before it's a mess again. Mm -hmm. This is a common complaint. And the standard response touted by magazine advice columns is, don't try tidying your entire house all at once. You'll just rebound. Make a habit of doing a little at a time. I first stumbled across this refrain when I was five. As the middle child of three children, I was raised with a great deal of freedom. My mother was busy taking care of my newborn younger sister, and my brother, who was two years older than me, was always glued to the TV playing video games. Consequently, I spent most of my time at home on my own. My favorite pastime was reading home and lifestyle magazines. My mother subscribed to Esse, a magazine with features on interior decorating, cleaning tips, and product reviews. As soon as it was delivered, I would snatch it from the mailbox before my mother even knew it had arrived, rip open the envelope, and immerse myself in the contents. On my way home from school, I liked to stop at the bookstore and browse through Orange Page, a popular Japanese food magazine. I wasn't actually able to read all the words, but these magazines... With their photos of scrumptious dishes, amazing tips for removing stains and grease, and penny-saving ideas were as fascinating for me as game guides were for my brother. I would fold the corner of a page that caught my interest and dream of trying out the tip described. I also made up a variety of my own solitary games. For example, after reading a feature on saving money, I immediately launched into a power-saving game that involved roaming about the house and unplugging things that weren't in use, even though I knew nothing about electric meters. In response to another feature, I filled plastic bottles with water and put them in the toilet tank in a solo, water-saving contest. Articles on storage inspired me to convert milk cartons into dividers for my drawers, and make a letter rack by stacking empty video cases between two pieces of furniture. At school, while other kids were playing dodgeball or skipping, I'd slip away to rearrange the bookshelves in our classroom, or check the contents of the mop cupboard, all the while muttering about the poor storage methods. If only there were an S-hook, it would be so much easier to use. But there was one problem that seemed unsolvable. No matter how much I tidied, it wasn't long before every space was a mess again. (laughs) The milk carton dividers in my desk drawer soon overflowed with pens. The rock made from video cases was soon so crammed with letters and papers that it crumpled to the floor. With cooking or sewing, practice makes perfect. But even though tidying is also housework, I never seemed to improve, no matter how often I did it. Nowhere stayed tidy for long. It can't be helped, I consoled myself. Rebound comes with the territory. If I tackle the job all at once, I'll just get discouraged. I had read this in many articles about tidying and assumed it was true. If I had a time machine now, I'd go back and tell myself, that's wrong. If you use the right approach, you'll never rebound. Most people associate the word rebound with dieting, (laughs) but when they hear it used in the context of tidying, it still makes sense. It seems logical that a sudden, drastic reduction in clutter could have the same effect as a drastic cut in calories. But don't be deceived. The moment you begin moving furniture around and getting rid of garbage, your room changes. It's very simple. If you put your house in order in one fell swoop, you will have tidied up in one fell swoop. In Japanese, the term is ikini, or in one go. Rebound occurs because people mistakenly believe they have tidied thoroughly, when in fact, they have only sorted and stored things halfway. If you put your house in order properly, You'll be able to keep your room tidy, even if you are lazy or sloppy by nature. (laughs) Tidy a little a day and you'll be tidying forever. If you tidy your house all at once, you'll rebound. It's better to make it a habit to do a little at a time. Although this advice sounds very tempting, we've already seen that the first part is wrong. How about the suggestion that we should do only a little a day? Although it sounds convincing, don't be fooled. The reason you never seem to finish is precisely because you tidy a little at a time. (laughs) Changing lifestyle habits acquired over a span of many years is generally extremely difficult. If you have never succeeded in staying tidy to date, you will find it next to impossible to develop the habit of tidying a little at a time. People cannot change their habits without first changing their way of thinking. And that's not easy, after all. It's quite hard to control what we think. There is, however, one way to drastically transform the way we think about tidying. The subject of tidying first caught my attention when I was in junior high school. The catalyst was a book called The Art of Discarding by Nagisa Tatsumi, Takarajimasha Incorporated, which explained the importance of getting rid of unnecessary things. I picked the book up on my way home from school Intrigued to see a topic I had never encountered before. And I can still remember the shock of surprise I felt as I read it on the train. I became so absorbed that I almost missed my stop. (laughs) Once home, I went straight to my room with a handful of garbage bags and stayed closeted for several hours. Although my room was small, by the time I finished I had eight bags full of stuff. Clothes I never wore, textbooks from elementary school, toys I had not played with in years my eraser and seal collection. I had forgotten that most of these things even existed. I sat motionless on the floor for about an hour afterward, staring at the pile of bags and wondering, why on earth did I bother keeping all this stuff? What shocked me most, however, was how different my room looked. After only a few hours, I could see parts of the floor that had never been revealed before. My room seemed to have been transformed. And the air inside seemed so much fresher and brighter that even my mind felt clearer. Tidying, I realized, could have far more impact than I had ever imagined. Thunderstruck by the extent of the change, from that day on I turned my attention from cooking and sewing, which I had thought were the essentials of a well-kept home, to the art of tidying. Tidying brings visible results. Tidying never lies. The ultimate secret of success is this. If you tidy up in one shot, rather than little by little, you can dramatically change your mindset. A change so profound that it touches your emotions will irresistibly affect your way of thinking and your lifestyle habits. My clients do not develop the habit of tidying gradually. Every one of them has been clutter-free since they undertook their tidying marathon. This approach is the key to preventing rebound. When people revert to clutter, no matter how much they tidy, it is not their room or their belongings, but their way of thinking that is at fault. Even if they are initially inspired, they can't stay motivated and their efforts peter out. The root cause lies in the fact that they can't see the results or feel the effects. This is precisely why success depends on experiencing tangible results immediately if you use the right method and concentrate your efforts on eliminating clutter thoroughly and completely within a short span of time you'll see instant results that will empower you to keep your space in order ever after anyone who experiences this process no matter who they are will vow never to revert to clutter again why you should aim for perfection don't aim for perfection Start off slowly and discard just one item a day. What lovely words to ease the hearts of those who lack confidence in their ability to tidy. I came across this advice when I was devouring every book about tidying that had ever been published in Japan. And I fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. The momentum sparked by my epiphany concerning the power of tidying was beginning to wear off, and I was starting to feel jaded by the lack of solid results. These words seem to make sense. It seems daunting to aim for perfection from the beginning. Besides, perfection is supposedly unattainable. By discarding one thing a day, I could get rid of 365 things by the end of the year. Convinced that I had discovered a very practical method, I immediately followed the book's instructions. I opened my closet in the morning, wondering what to dispose of that day. Seeing a t-shirt that I no longer wore, I put it in the garbage bag. Before going to bed the next night, I opened my desk drawer and discovered a notebook that seemed too childish for me. I put it in the bag. Noticing a memo pad in the same drawer, I thought to myself, Oh, I don't need that anymore. But as I reached out to pick it up, I paused at a new thought. I can save that to discard tomorrow. And I waited until the next morning to throw it away. The day after that, I forgot completely, so I got rid of two items on the following day. To be honest, I did not last two weeks. I am not the type of person who likes to plug away at something, one step at a time. For people like me, who do their assignments on the very last day, right before the deadline, this approach just doesn't work. Besides, casting off one object a day did not compensate for the fact that when I shop, I buy several items at one time. In the end, the pace at which I reduced could not keep up with the pace at which I acquired new things and I was confronted with the discouraging fact that my space was still cluttered. It wasn't long before I had completely forgotten to follow the rule of discarding one item per day. So I can tell you from experience that you will never get your house in order if you only clean up half-heartedly. If, like me, you are not the diligent, persevering type, then I recommend aiming for perfection just once. Many people may protest when I use the word perfection, insisting that it's an impossible goal. But don't worry. Tidying, in the end, is just a physical act. The work involved can be broadly divided into two kinds, deciding whether or not to dispose of something and deciding where to put it. If you can do these two things, you can achieve perfection. Objects can be counted. All you need to do is look at each item, one at a time, and decide whether or not to keep it and where to put it. That's all you need to complete this job. It is not hard to tidy up perfectly and completely in one fell swoop. In fact, anyone can do it. And if you want to avoid rebound, this is the only way to do it. The moment you start, you reset your life. Have you ever found yourself unable to study the night before an exam and begun frantically tidying? I confess, I have. In fact, For me, it was a regular event. I would take the piles of handouts covering my desk and throw them in the garbage. Then, unable to stop, I'd tackle the textbooks and papers littering the floor and begin arranging them in my bookcase. Finally, I'd open my desk drawer and start organizing my pens and pencils. Before I knew it, it would be 2.30 in the morning. Overcome by sleep, I'd jolt awake again at 5, and only then, in a complete panic, would I open my textbook and buckle down to study? I thought that this urge to tidy before an exam was a peculiar quirk of my own, but after meeting many others who do the same, I realized that it was a common phenomenon. Many people get the urge to clean up when under pressure, such as just before an exam, but this urge doesn't occur because they want to clean their room, it occurs because they need to put something else in order. Their brain is actually clamoring to study, but when it notices the cluttered space, the focus switches to, I need to clean up my room. The fact that the tidying urge rarely continues once the crisis is over proves my theory. Once the exam has ended, the passion poured into cleaning the previous night dissipates, and life returns to normal. All thought of tidying is wiped from the person's mind. Why? Because the problem faced that is, the need to study for the exam, has been tidied away. This doesn't mean that tidying your room will actually calm your troubled mind. While it may help you feel refreshed temporarily, the relief won't last because you haven't addressed the true cause of your anxiety. If you let the temporary relief achieved by tidying up your physical space deceive you, you will never recognize the need to clean up your psychological space. This was true for me distracted by the need to tidy my room. It took me so long to get down to studying that my grades were always terrible. Let's imagine a cluttered room. It does not get messy all by itself. You, the person who lives in it, makes the mess. There is a saying that a messy room equals a messy mind. I look at it this way. When a room becomes cluttered, the cause is more than just physical visible mess helps distract us from the true source of the disorder. The act of cluttering is really an instinctive reflex that draws our attention away from the heart of an issue. If you can't feel relaxed in a clean and tidy room, try confronting your feeling of anxiety. It may shed light on what is really bothering you. When your room is clean and uncluttered, you have no choice but to examine your inner state. You can see any issues you have been avoiding and are forced to deal with them. From the moment you start tidying, you will be compelled to reset your life. As a result, your life will start to change. That's why the task of putting your house in order should be done quickly. It allows you to confront the issues that are really important. Tidying is just a tool, not the final destination. The true goal should be to establish the lifestyle you want most once your house has been put in order. Storage experts are hoarders. What is the first problem that comes to mind when you think of tidying? For many, the answer is storage. My clients often want me to teach them what to put where. Believe me, I can relate. But unfortunately, this is not the real issue. A booby trap lies within the term storage.
0: That's a good one. Yeah, that's a really good one. And it's on point. Just about everything she touched on. Especially about the night of exams and how the mind works when it's time to confront. Studying for the big exams, here's one, Spark Joy, an Illustrated Master Class on the Art of Organizing and Tidying Up, the same author, Marie Kondo, we'll check this one. Preface. Three, nine minutes.
2: Penguin Random House Audio presents Spark Joy, an illustrated masterclass on the art of organizing and tidying up by Mari Kondo. Translated from the Japanese by Kathy Hirano. Read for you by Sumali Montano. Preface. Life truly begins only after you have put your house in order. That's why I've devoted most of my life to the study of tidying. I want to help as many people as possible tidy up once and for all. This doesn't mean, however, that you should just dump anything and everything. Far from it. Only when you know how to choose those things that spark joy can you attain your ideal lifestyle. If you are confident that something brings you joy, keep it, regardless of what anyone else might say. Even if it isn't perfect, no matter how mundane it might be, when you use it with care and respect, you transform it into something priceless. As you repeat this selection process, you increase your sensitivity to joy. This not only accelerates your tidying pace, but also hones your decision-making capacity in all areas of life. Taking good care of your things leads to taking good care of yourself. What sparks joy for you personally? And what doesn't? The answers to these questions represent a major clue for getting to know yourself as a recipient of the gift of life. And I am convinced that the perspective we gain through this process represents the driving force that can make not only our lifestyle, but our very lives shine. Some people have told me that they had almost nothing left after discarding those things that didn't spark joy and, at first, didn't know what to do. This reaction seems particularly common when people finish tidying their clothes. If it happens to you, don't be discouraged. The important thing is that you have noticed. The real tragedy is to live your entire life without anything that brings you joy and never even realize it. From the moment you finish tidying, you can begin to add a new zest to your home and to your life. Only two skills are necessary to successfully put your house in order. The ability to keep what sparks joy and chuck the rest, and the ability to decide where to keep each thing you choose and always put it back in its place. The important thing in tidying is not deciding what to discard, but rather what you want to keep in your life. It is my hope that the magic of tidying will help you create a bright and joyful future. Introduction. The KonMari Method is there an illustrated guide that explains your tidying methods the same way you do in your lessons? I don't know how many times I've been asked this question. My response has always been the same. But you don't need one because success depends 90% on your mindset. I know that no matter how much knowledge you may gather, if you don't change your way of thinking, you'll rebound. What I'm trying to share as a tidying consultant is not a mere tidying method, but rather an approach that will enable you to become capable of tidying. And I believe to achieve this, something similar to shock treatment is necessary. At the same time, however, it's true that once people have committed themselves to tidying up, they may want more detailed instructions. For people in the middle of the tidying process then, what could be more helpful than an illustrated guide? For people who have not yet committed themselves, however, such a book could actually make things worse. In that sense, publishing this illustrated guide could be likened to sharing a book of forbidden knowledge. So let me ask you point blank. Are you committed to completing the once in a lifetime special event of tidying up? If you answered yes, then please go ahead and keep listening. Even if you have already finished your tidying campaign, The tips for making your home spark joy are bound to be of use. If you answered no, however, please start by reading my first book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. If you have already read it, but still aren't committed, please read it again, because something, and probably something quite small, has kept you from tidying up so far. This illustrated guide is a comprehensive compilation of KonMari method know-how. The illustrations can all be viewed on the PDF that accompanies this audiobook. For people who have made the commitment to tidy up once and for all, it should be extremely helpful, like a hand scratching your back right where you feel itchy. For those of you who have tidied up to some extent but want more details, this guide will serve as an encyclopedia of tidying up. Feel free to refer to the PDF whenever you need to confirm how specific tasks are done. I've also included answers to many of the questions I received from readers of the first volume. And for those of you who want to skip all my personal stories and are impatient to get to the nitty-gritty of tidying up, this book alone may be enough. Now, are you ready? Don't forget that the god of tidying up is always on your side as long as you are committed to getting it done. The six basic rules of tidying. The tidying process you are about to embark on is not about decluttering your house or making it look neat on the spur of the moment for visitors. Rather, you are about to tidy up in a way that will spark joy in your life and change it forever. When you tidy the Konmari way, you will experience several changes. For one thing, when you have finished cleaning up once and for all, you will never again relapse into clutter. You also will have clearly identified your values and what you want to do. You will be able to take good care of your possessions and will experience every day a feeling of contentment. The key to success is to tidy up quickly and completely, all in one go. Once you have experienced what your house feels like when it is completely tidy in the true sense of the term, you will never want to return to clutter, and the strength of that feeling will empower you to keep it tidy. Number one, commit yourself to tidying up. The Komari method may seem a little hard. It does require time and effort. But having chosen this book with the intention of at least making a good stab at seriously tidying up, please keep listening and believe in yourself. Once you have made up your mind, all you need to do is apply the right method. Number two, imagine your ideal lifestyle. Think about what kind of house you want to live in and how you want to live in it. In other words, describe your ideal lifestyle. If you like drawing, sketch out what it looks like. If you prefer to write, describe it in a notebook. You can also cut out photos from magazines. You would rather start tidying right away, would you? That is precisely why so many people suffer rebound after tidying up. When you imagine your ideal lifestyle are actually clarifying why you want to tidy and identifying the kind of life you want to live once you have finished the tidying process thus represents a huge turning point in a person's life so seriously consider the ideal lifestyle to which you aspire number three finish discarding first one characteristic of people who never seem to finish tidying up is that they attempt to store everything without getting rid of anything. When things are put away, a home will look neat on the surface. But if the storage units are filled with unnecessary items, it will be impossible to keep them organized, and this will inevitably lead to a relapse. The key to success in tidying is to finish discarding first. You can only plan where to store your things and what to store them in once you've decided what to keep and what to discard because only then will you have an accurate grasp of how much actually needs to be stored. Thinking about where to store things or worrying about whether you can fit everything in will only distract you from the job of discarding and you will never finish. That would be a terrible waste. So instead, consider any storage solutions made during the discarding process as temporary and focus all your attention on sorting the next category. This is the secret to getting the job done quickly. Number four, tidy by category, not by location. One of the most common mistakes people make is to tidy room by room. This approach doesn't work because people think they have tidied up when in fact they have only shuffled their things around from one location to another or scattered items in the same category around the house making it impossible to get an accurate grasp of the volume of things they actually own. The correct approach is to tidy by category. This means tidying up all the things in the same category in one go. For example, when tidying the clothes category, the first step is to gather every item of clothing from the entire house in one spot. This allows you to see objectively exactly how much you have. Confronted with an enormous mound of clothes, you will also be forced to acknowledge how poorly you have been treating your possessions.
0: Okay, that's another good one. Five stars for that one, too. It's a keeper. And this is a three-book bundle. So let's see what the third one is. The Art of Discarding, How to Get Rid of Clutter and Find Joy. We'll listen to the preview for nine minutes. Hashat Audio presents The Art of Discarding, How to Get Rid of
3: Clutter and Find
1: Joy by Nagisa Tatsumi Read by Karin Cass
4: Preface Getting to grips with stuff Throwing stuff out it's a fundamental issue Everyone these days has too much stuff We keep chucking it out but it keeps on accumulating At work we face endless piles of paper At home, however much storage space we have, it's never enough. Things proliferate and our living space shrinks. We're surrounded. We know we have to do something. If only we could get rid of it all, what a relief that would be. The 1990s saw a boom in ecological thinking, which has extended into the new millennium. Be kind to the earth. Recycle. Don't produce rubbish. And this has generated a new way of thinking about stuff what we need versus what we want but we're still crowded out with it why how come this flood of things never seems to ebb away we know how good it would feel if all this stuff was gone so why do we keep it why do we always feel guilty about getting rid of things let's look at these questions a little more closely stuff and our sense of waste In the past, things were precious. Before the start of mass production and mass consumption, relatively recently, in fact, things were cherished. They were looked after and used for as long as possible. Even when they'd lost their original purpose, other uses were found for them. And only once all possible functions were exhausted were they finally discarded. It was the same with food. People were taught to eat every last grain of rice in their bowls. It was all about using something to the full, discarding it, and only then obtaining something new. That was the cycle. And, against this background, a sense of shame at wastefulness. Motainai, in Japanese, became a virtue. But life's different now. In the 1960s and 70s, new and exciting electrical products sold precisely because they were new and exciting. There was a belief that new equals good. And so things that were old were immediately replaced more and more things electrical goods fashion etc came flooding into our lives and by the end of the 1980s the act of purchasing had become an end in itself we've become used to this kind of spending but because we are no longer buying out of necessity things inevitably accumulate at a far greater pace than they are used up and so we are drowning. In switch from an era when things were precious to an era of oversupply was too sudden. We're stuck between our traditional sense of wastefulness, motainai, and the new world where things proliferate. Be positive about discarding. We have to address this dilemma. If we carry on like this, we'll never be free of the spell that things have over us. Can a more ecologically aware or economical lifestyle help us break the spell? If we look after things, and only buy what's necessary, will we be free? Well, it wouldn't work for me. I wouldn't want to stop buying things. Reducing clutter feels good, but you'd have to be very stoic to enjoy life without new stuff. It feels good to have things you like around you. It makes you happy to wear new clothes. I have... The and newspapers, but I want magazines too. If I want to buy some new plates, or a jug, I don't want to be thinking there's something virtuous about preventing myself from doing so. Saving money is no good if you can't enjoy life. So, we want to enjoy a comfortable life, but we don't want things to accumulate. Nor do we want to create a sense of waste. Is that possible? And if so, how? This book is here to help. What i want to propose is a positive attitude to discarding to get to grips with our cluttered lives we have to start clearing things out instead of worrying about wastefulness let the task of disposal be an opportunity to reflect on the real value of your possessions look at the things you've allowed to accumulate thinking about why you've got them will help give you a sense of why they have a hold on you and as you sort out what to throw away and what to keep you'll come to realize what's really necessary. The art of discarding and the art of living. First off, you need to reassess your relationship with physical objects. The ten attitudes to discarding outlined in part one will help you. I'm not saying you should change your mindset completely, but if you worry about throwing things away, perhaps it's time to adjust your thinking a little. Just try adopting the key points from this section that strike a chord with you. This may help loosen the hold that things have on you. Part two introduces ten practical disposal strategies. As with part one, try what makes sense to you. If just one of the strategies becomes a habit, life will start to feel much better. In part three, there's some general information that should make it easier for you to find ways to get rid of things. I hope you'll find it useful to combine this with suggestions from the other two parts. You'll find a lot of detail in the book, but ultimately, the art of discarding is very straightforward. It's simply a question of becoming conscious of previously unconscious behavior and of seeing your approach to possessions as part of the art of living. I hope that the book will help you Very simple, keep things you use and discard those you don't. Things are given life by being used. Keeping something because it would be a waste to get rid of it is a kind of torture. Free yourself from the waste argument and you'll begin to see the value of things. Things and the environment. Since I originally wrote this book in 2000, Environmental awareness has become a key part of society's thinking. There are now all sorts of regulations about recycling. There are real and online markets for second-hand goods. Environmentally friendly products, from recycled toilet tissue to hybrid cars, are inexpensive and high quality. We can have environmentally sound lifestyles without thinking about it the whole time. These are all welcome developments, but has the volume of rubbish reduced? Has stuff stopped accumulating in our homes? Not as far as I can see. As much rubbish as ever seems to amass. Second-hand shops and markets are overflowing. And all the while, TV and newspapers churn out endless features on how to use your storage space. If this awareness were to lead to a general decluttering of lives and homes, then the situation would be different. And the fact that it hasn't done so means, in my view, that there's no real connection between our relationship with things and our awareness of the environment. Environmental awareness won't solve the problem of too much stuff. It goes without saying that environmental problems have to be thought about on a national or global scale. Issues such as increased entropy or comparative environmental impact feel very distant from our day-to-day existence difficult to maintain both a micro and macro perspective even the scientists researching the field can't be certain about the exhaustion of fossil fuels or the growth of holes in the ozone layer so how are we to take these matters into account in our everyday lives at an individual level environmental awareness can't go much beyond not dropping litter not pouring milk down the plug hole looking after things and using them carefully not leaving lights on reusing shopping bags or buying environmentally sound products let me be clear i'm not questioning the importance of environmental issues society has to develop in a way that takes account of the environment and of course it's better that people know about it than that they are ignorant or uninterested what i'm saying is first that the problems of the environment are too big for individuals alone to deal with and second that living environmentally friendly lives is not going to solve the problems that we have with rubbish, the glut of stuff in the world around us, or indeed in our own homes. Changing how we think about things. Environmental awareness is a valid guideline for life in general. But if we are to solve the specific problem of having too much stuff, we must change the way we deal with it.
0: another good book The Art of Discarding (laughs) Uh, another five stars and we'll see if they have anything else here that we need to look at it's um Goodbye Things, The New Japanese Minimalism. We'll listen to that one. Introduction. Four minutes.
3: Blackstone Audio presents Goodbye Things, The New Japanese Minimalism, by Fumio Sasaki. Translated by Eriko Sugi. This book is read by Keith Sarabica. About the structure of this book. Chapter 1 takes a look at the definition of a minimalist and what exactly it means to be one. It also explores some of the reasons why I believe the minimalist population has been growing in recent years. Chapter 2 asks why we have accumulated so much in the first place. It considers the habits and the desires that we have as humans the meanings that exist behind all the objects we have. Chapter three offers some basic rules and techniques for reducing our material possessions. I've compiled methods for discarding various things, along with an additional list for minimalists who want to part with more items, and also a remedy for minimalists who get addicted to throwing things away. Chapter four talks about the changes that I went through when I decreased (coughs) the number of my possessions to an absolute minimum. Along with the psychological results, It offers a look at the positive things that have happened to me by going minimalist, and the sense of happiness that I have become more aware of. Chapter 5 offers more insight into why the changes that I went through have made me happy, and covers more generally what I learned about happiness along the way. I hope you'll start at the beginning of this book to give you a better sense of minimalism, but it's also okay to read the chapters randomly if you prefer. I think a quick look at Chapter 3 will come in handy for anyone who's thinking about reducing the amount of possessions that they now have. In this book, I've defined minimalism as, one, reducing our necessary items to a minimum, and two, doing away with excess so we can focus on the things that are truly important to us. People who live that way are the ones I consider to be minimalists. Introduction There's happiness in having less. That's why it's time to say goodbye to all our extra things. That's the minimal version of the message that I like to convey in this book. I want to show you how amazing it is to have less, even though that's the complete opposite of how we've been taught to be happy. We think that the more we have, the happier we will be. We never know what tomorrow might bring, so we collect and save as much as we can. This means we need a lot of money, so we gradually start judging people by how much money they have. We start to realize that money solves most of all problems. You can even change people's minds if the price is right. And if you can buy people's minds, then surely you can buy happiness. So you convince yourself that you need to make a lot of money so you don't miss out on success. And for you to make money, you need everyone else to spend their money. And so it goes. Let me tell you a bit about myself. I'm 35 years old, male, single, never been married. I work as an editor at a publishing company. I recently moved from the Nakimoguro neighborhood in Tokyo, where I lived for a decade, to a neighborhood called Fudomai in a different part of town. The rent is 67,000 yen, about $650 per month. 20,000 yen, about $200, less than my last apartment. But the move pretty much wiped out my savings. Some of you may think that I'm a loser, an unmarried adult with not much money to speak of. The old me would have been way too embarrassed to admit all this. I was filled with useless pride. But I honestly don't care about things like that anymore. The reason is very simple. I'm perfectly happy just as I am. Ten years ago, I was eager to get into publishing. I wanted a career in which I could think about big ideas and cultural values instead of always being focused on money and material objects. That initial enthusiasm gradually faded. The publishing industry was going through a difficult period, and for our company to survive, we needed books that would sell, first and foremost. If we didn't publish commercial books, it would be impossible to publish anything, no matter how culturally or intellectually valuable we thought it was. Faced with the realities of the business world, I grew up quickly. The passion that had been burning inside me when I first joined the company began to cool. I ultimately gave in to the mindset that in the end, it's all about money. But then I got rid of most of my material possessions, and that idea was completely turned upside down.
5: Random House Audio presents The Minimalist Home. Penguin Random House Audio presents The Minimalist Home, a room-by-room guide to a decluttered, refocused life by... Joshua Becker with Eric Stanford. This is the author, Joshua Becker. Part One, You. Chapter One, Minimalism Makeover. Make the most of the most important place on earth, home. I shake my head at those home makeover shows that are so popular on TV, you know, a couple who are discontented with their home invite a design expert to come in and evaluate the situation the couple nervously agree to stretch their budget as far as possible to make as much of a change as they can then a renovation team takes over carrying out repairs and upgrades there's always an obstacle that arises and creates drama <laughs> and after that the designer stages the house with new furniture store-bought decorations, and this year's color scheme. Finally, the homeowners come back for the big reveal and get teary-eyed at their house's new look. (laughs) I shake my head because even though their house may look nicer, the homeowners typically wind up with just as much stuff as they had before, maybe even more. That's all stuff that may be getting in the way of how they want to spend their days more than it's contributing to the pursuit of their goals. I wonder, after the initial dopamine zap from the redecoration, are their lives really any different? Is their home more personal and life-giving to them now, or is it just more pleasing to the eye? Or worse, will their renovated home require more time and money and energy for upkeep than it did in its previous form? Very few of us get picked to be on TV's home makeover shows. Yet most of us who have a house or apartment go through something similar with our own homes. We're disappointed in our living space. We have spent a lot of money buying stuff for our home and a lot of time organizing, cleaning, and maintaining that stuff. And nevertheless, in the rare times we have left to simply enjoy the home, it doesn't feel like the place we really want to live in. What do we do then? If we don't just give up hope, we most likely double down, continuing to look in all the wrong places for help. We pay attention to commercials, and visit showrooms, and scroll through shopping sites online, and we decide that we need more stuff, or better stuff, with a different organizing and decorating plan. And when we take our best shot at making our living space better, it's, well, it's somewhat better in some ways, but it still doesn't give fundamental satisfaction or kick off any lasting life change. What if the problem isn't that we don't own enough stuff or aren't managing our stuff well enough? What if the problem is that we're living in the homes that advertisers and retailers want us to have instead of the homes that deep down we really want and need? I'd like to suggest that what the huge majority of people in my own country, the United States, and other countries' need if we are going to be content with our homes and start living more fulfilled lives is a minimalist makeover of our homes. Are you willing to come along with me and explore that idea for your home? That there is more joy to be found in owning less than we can ever find in accumulating more? I hope you will, because I know from years of experience that by getting rid of the excess stuff in every room, You can transform your home so that you feel not only free from the stress of so much clutter around you, but also free to live a life focused on what you want to do with your limited years on this planet. (laughs) Consider the benefits of a minimalist makeover of your home. You don't have to be an interior designer to do this. You don't need a demo reno team or real estate agent on your side. You don't need a big budget or any budget really. And the investment of time you make up front is something you will recoup many times over in years to come. You just need determination and some advice to guide you on the way. You can help others by sharing the Minimalist Home tips on social media by posting or tweeting the tips labeled hashtag Minimalist Home you'll find throughout this book seven surprising facts that reveal how much we own one in the 35 richest countries in the world total material consumption stands at an average of 220.5 pounds per person each day two americans spend 1.2 trillion dollars annually on non-essential goods three The United States has more than 50,000 storage facilities, more than the number of Starbucks, McDonald's, and Subway restaurants combined. Currently, there are 7.3 square feet of self-storage space for each person in the nation, so that it is theoretically possible that every American could stand, all at the same time, under the total canopy of self-storage roofing. Nearly half of American households are spending so much that they don't save any money. Five, currently, the 12% of the world's population that lives in North America and Western Europe accounts for 60% of private consumption spending, while the one-third living in South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa accounts for only 3.2%. Six, the home organization industry benefiting from our desperation to try to manage all our stuff, earned retail sales of $16 billion in 2016, and is growing at 4% per year. Seven, over the course of an average lifetime, because of all the clutter we live in, we will spend 3,680 hours, or 153 days, searching for misplaced items, phones, sunglasses and paperwork, top the list. Revolution indoors. Over the first decade of their marriage, Shannon and her husband moved several times. But there was one constant. Everywhere they went, they accumulated more and more stuff. And it was never long before a new home began to feel crowded and messy. Shannon didn't like this situation and felt guilty but didn't know what to do about it. She could sense a growing resentment from her husband over the clutter situation, too. When company was coming over, she would move things around to give an illusion of neatness, but of course, such maneuvers didn't address the root problem that they simply owned too much stuff. (laughs) Not much changed until Shannon and her husband went on a trip from their home in the Midwest to Tennessee, where they stayed in a cabin. With only what we packed for the week, the cabin seemed spacious and comfortable, though it wasn't really that large, she said. Once we got home from the trip, I wanted that for our home, room to breathe and enjoy ourselves without things in the way. This was Shannon's aha moment, her trigger, her tipping point. I have noticed that for most people, There is one moment when something causes them to undertake a minimalist makeover. I tell in my previous book, The More of Less, about my trigger moment in 2008, when I was frustrated while cleaning out my garage on a Saturday, and a neighbor pointed out that I didn't need to own all that stuff. Have you had your own minimalism aha moment? Something that has opened your eyes to the clutter issues you face? and has pushed you to do something about them? If not, I hope this book will be that friendly shove for you. Shannon's cabin epiphany inspired her to finally take action on what I would call her stuff problem. As soon as she got home, she signed up for my online course, Uncluttered, and quickly began making progress on her home. She would take out 10 or 12 boxes Her husband got in the spirit as well, clearing out machinery and tools from his garage workshop. Their minimalist home makeover was underway. Eventually, the couple got down to some decisions about what to keep and what to toss that were tougher to make. These are the kinds of decisions that cause some people to quit decluttering before they get the full benefit. And they are some of the decisions I'm gonna help you make in this book. Their progress slowed for a while, but they kept going and in the end, transformed every part of their home through minimizing. Shannon said, our home is now a place where my husband can come home and feel free to pursue his hobbies, and for us to be the couple I know we are without fear.